So this is weird, eh? A little different. Maybe not what we're all used to. I don't know if when you came in, you were excited. I already heard a couple of people say that uh, they were enjoying the format. Um, One person said, do we get to discuss things during the sermon, apparently? And the answer to that is, well, if you want to be here till like 2 p.m., maybe. But we're going to do a little bit of that. So why did we change the seating format this morning? Um, Well, it really was the decision that we intended to highlight the meaning of the passage we're looking at today. Today we're going to be reading from John 15. On top of that, today is a communion Sunday, and on communion Sundays we talk a lot about coming to the table. And this is the table we mean. I'm standing behind this table and we celebrate communion, but then we stare at the backs of each other's heads often. But that's not how you eat a meal, right? And the Lord's Supper, of course, has its roots in a meal, and that's why it's called Supper, the Lord's Supper. So we thought we could hopefully enrich our experience of communion this morning, but also mix things up a little bit and and ask ourselves, as we've been uh, since the new year started, how can we be more hospitable as a church? How can we envision church happening differently? And this is a little thing, but significant. At each table, you have symbols of communion. There's a small loaf of bread, uh, a glass of wine. Um, Don't eat or drink those. They're they're supposed to be here for the 11 a.m. service people, too. Um, (laughs) It's a prop, thank you, yes. Uh, some tables have little tomato plants at them, and that you'll understand that better as we get into the passage we're going to be reading this morning. If you haven't come to Community Bible Study, this is what happens on Wednesday nights, and so it was easy for us just to add a few more tables, but this gives you a bit of a glimpse into what uh, the Community Bible Study looks like. Justin already mentioned that, oh, one other thing, I almost forgot. There are pieces of paper on each table, and and we're going to talk today, uh, as we reflect on John 15, about how we can be fruitful in our lives, uh, how we can grow. And so, during the sermon, uh, or any time from now on, if, if you want to write down something that you'd like to see grow, in your own life, or you'd like to see appear as fruit in the city of Guelph, say. Um, can you write that down and as a prayer request? And I'm going to pray every single one of these we get. So as things occur to you, and hopefully they will, uh, before the prayers to follow the message, um, we will collect those, and then I'm going to pray them. So uh, hopefully you have a pen. If you don't, maybe you can borrow one from someone, but those are on the table for you to write down prayer requests on. Justin already mentioned that next Sunday uh, is our last Sunday with two services. And if you came in late, we wanted to flag uh, May 26th for you. We made a decision, uh, the elders of the church serving on session did, that we were going to change our Sunday mornings and hold a single service starting on May the 19th. It'll be a permanent single service. We did that so that we could be more hospitable. We could welcome people better and also so that we could be together. And if you'd like to know more about the reasons for that decision, uh, you can talk to me. There's an article in the last issue of the Chronicles, our church's newsletter. Um, So you heard that it starts at 10.15 on 
May the 19th, but we particularly wanted to flag the special offering that's happening on May 26th, because we're going to make some changes to this room over the summer. It's going to look different, uh, among other things. Uh, where is it? This carpet issue will be gone. We're going to replace the carpet. <laughs> I was waiting for that. So I'm not sure about the chairs, but it, it may depend a little bit on how the special offering goes. So you can circle that on your calendar for May 26th, um, and, and we'll be praying about that also later in the service. Let me pray for us before we open up our Bibles, if you brought a Bible, before we read from the Gospel according to John. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the one who breathes life into us as the church of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are nothing without you. We're just kind of a weird assortment of people sitting around tables. Uh, But you give us purpose, you give us hope, the hope of the resurrection. You enable us to love one another, to forgive one another. And so we pray today that you would... Fill us with the kind of excitement that you must feel when you see us gathering on Sunday mornings at the ways you are going to renew us, even though we may not expect it, at the ways you're going to guide us and lead us into something new, the ways you're going to bless other people through us, the ways you're going to restore to us all that you have promised. So we pray that as we reflect on this passage, that you would continue your work of building the church, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read John 15, verses 1 to 17. This is Jesus speaking now. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, says Jesus. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm not sure if you noticed this this morning, but the weather is getting better. Beautiful day, right? I don't know what your plans are for this afternoon, but it's, it's going to be gorgeous out there. And in my household, anyway, we've started to think about the garden. I went to Costco this week and I bought two juniper bushes. Uh, and we've been cleaning up the backyard like I know some of you have. One thing that I was disappointed with was that our forsythia bushes are not really blooming. You know, forsythia had these yellow flowers, and there, there's a forsythia bush a couple of houses down that's really doing well. This is what happens with gardens, right? You start to compare to your neighbors, inevitably. Uh, so fortunately, my mother-in-law is here visiting with us right now. Um, my niece, we're hosting a shower for her this afternoon. And Nana is the world's best gardener with the possible exception of my mom. Actually, I'm going to call it a tie. Let's, let's make that official. There are, there's a dead heat for the world's best gardener, my mom and my mother-in-law. So when I asked Nana about our forsythia bushes and why they're not blooming, she said, well, you should have pruned them, like it was the most obvious thing in the world. Um, but, you know, I, I find pruning strange. I find I don't want to cut a plant up and... Because you want your plants to grow, right? And I feel sad when I start cutting plants. I don't know if you can relate to that at all. Um, but if you want to have healthy plants, you have to prune them. You have to trim shoots that aren't going in the right direction. You have to cut branches that are tangled or turned in on themselves. And you have to, this part's obvious, you have to remove the parts of the plant that are dead. Basically, you prune a plant so it can stop wasting its energy. You can think of it like that, so that it can be productive, so it can be true to its nature as a plant. When I was an undergraduate at the University of Toronto, I remember I had a a cactus. I thought, I thought, this is what you did when you became an adult. (laughs) You got a plant, clearly. And, And I thought that if I got a cactus, that was right about where I was at personality wise at that stage. but also in terms of my commitment to growing plants. The the cactus sat in the corner of the room, and I watered it very infrequently. We did not have a close relationship. Although over the years, I grew to love that cactus, mostly for its low maintenance demands on me. Now, that's pretty much the opposite of what it takes to be a good gardener. If you really want to grow something, you need to pay attention to it. You need to care for it daily, and you need to nurture it in order to help it grow outwards, to help it move towards the light. Here in John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. That's the first line of this passage, and it sets the tone for everything that follows. So Jesus is the vine. There's no mystery here. We don't have to figure out the metaphor Jesus says he's the vine from the beginning, and we grow out of him as branches. And God the Father is the gardener, the one who tends to the growth. 
So we learn in this passage that Jesus wants us to be fruitful. And there's three ways that happens. First of all, through suffering. Secondly, by remaining in him. And third, in our togetherness as a community of his friends. So I want you to take a minute. Maybe you've introduced yourselves in your table groups. And if you're sitting alone, maybe you want to move into a group that is a bit more substantial. But um, if you haven't introduced yourselves, introduce yourself to the people you're sitting with. And then maybe share something that that you're growing in your life right now. So I I recently grew mold in my fridge um, (laughs) on some tomato sauce. Uh, Maybe you've done that. But maybe something a little more... A little nicer, you're growing. So take a couple minutes and introduce yourselves and talk about what you're growing. Okay, we're going to wrap that up. It seems to have gone pretty well. Uh, I, was, I was over at a neighbor's house yesterday, and he isn't part of Corbett. He goes to a different church, uh, uh, that Lutheran-Anglican one, you know, the one on uh, Silver Creek. Anyway, I, I described for him what we were doing this morning, and he said, uh, said I would hate that. <laughs> I was like, thanks, Grant. That's really encouraging. Uh, he said, it's just because I'm an introvert. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I would just go home right away. So that made me a a little bit nervous about this morning, but that discussion seems to have gone pretty well. Um, So Jesus starts by talking about pruning, right? At At the end of John 14, right before the passage we read, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. So he knows the disciples are heading out into hard times. Jesus encourages us here, and you'll often hear this passage read at funerals, actually, but he doesn't give to us as the world gives. He isn't selling us a vision of the Christian life that's all about flourishing and growth and good times. No, here in John 15, he starts with the hard stuff. He starts with pain. He starts with loss. He talks about pruning first. All of us, I think, would like things to come more easily in our lives, particularly in our sense of growing as Christians. We don't want to hear that suffering is necessary if we're going to actually be fruitful. But Jesus says that his father is the gardener who prunes and shapes us. Now, plants don't grow overnight. We know that that is a long-term commitment if you want to have a beautiful garden. And so Jesus invites us to see our lives as this, think of it as a long obedience in the same direction. I know that many of you can look back on times in your life, chapters when you went through trials of one kind or another, and you can see that those moments, those stretches of time, were like an opening through which you grew in your faith and through which you became more deeply rooted in the Lord. And sometimes that takes years to figure out, right? But 
We also need to be clear here that God doesn't inflict suffering on us. Scripture says that he is good and there's nothing evil in him. But what he does is he takes the evil that's loose in the world and that's in our hearts and he uses those trials to bring us closer to him. And that's, that's pretty hard for us to hear. And certainly in our culture where overarchingly people want to escape from any kind of suffering. That is our default position. To say that we should accept our pain, that we should see it as something that God uses for the good, to even say that we should embrace our trials, find joy in them, seems like a crazy idea. But we worship a God who went to the place of ultimate suffering for us. Jesus went to the cross so that we could live. And so we recognize, as Jesus makes it clear here, that God prunes us so we can flourish with him. I had coffee recently with a, a friend of mine, a friend I've had for about 20 years, and uh, I got to the Cornerstone Cafe, some of you know it in downtown Guelph, across from the, the train station, and, and I sat down, and we hadn't gotten together for a while, and, and he said to me, um, so uh, there's two cards I could play here. One is the, the encouragement card, the empathy card, the other is the truth card. And I immediately thought, oh, please, please play the encouragement empathy card. But no, he said, I'm going to play the truth card. And he went on to say some things to me that, that were critical and challenging that I thought were unfair and a little obnoxious, actually. Um, and I felt like everything inside of me was, I just wanted to walk out. But I sat there. And then the topic changed. And I don't know, have you had that experience before where somebody who you expect to provide encouragement and empathy suddenly criticizes you? It hurts, right? Especially if you feel as though it's not fair. But you know, anytime we face that kind of criticism from someone, there's an opportunity. So even if it's 95% untrue, there's 5% of it that we know Maybe it's true. Maybe it's 10%. And so from that, we can actually grow. And I'm going to come back to that conversation, but it's in those moments of being hurt by someone that God gives us an opening, an opening that we can move into or we can run away from. So we've seen that Jesus describes one of the ways we grow is by God the Father pruning us. Martin Luther says that the word of God does a lot of cleaning in our lives, but some things can only be removed by suffering. The gardener takes out of our lives only those things that are a loss to keep and a gain to lose. Only those things that if we kept them would be bad for us and those things that if we gain them, are going to help us. It's painful, and I'm not saying you're always going to understand what God is doing through that, but when God prunes you, that's what he's doing. He's helping you to grow. But growth is not automatic when we face suffering. We still need to remain in him, and that is the message of this passage above all. Jesus says in verse 4, No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Now, nothing does not mean nothing, because clearly a lot of people who aren't connected to Jesus do a lot of things, right? Even religious things. Now, nothing here means nothing of eternal value, nothing with real life in it. Throughout this sermon series in the Gospel of John, we've been talking about life, the abundant life, the eternal life, the deeper, richer, truer life that Jesus offers us. What we want to do for God is bear fruit that lasts. We want to do things that are of eternal value, that have real life in them. Now, all of us, I think, have had people at one time or another say to us that, that we need to branch out on our own. We need to pursue independence. Have any of you read Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Some of you have. I saw a couple of hands. In that book, Covey says that we start off dependent, right? We start off as babies, as children, and we are, from the beginning, completely dependent. And then, as we get older, we strive to become independent. But if we're going to reach maturity, it's only because we've learned to be interdependent. So some of us get lost in the pursuit of independence. Independence means different things for different people, but we can lose our way as we pursue it. And Jesus warns us not to buy into the world's false idea of freedom. One, one idea we have of independence is that financially, if we are rich, that then we will be free. So you've seen commercials, lottery commercials on TV, where people win the lottery and the joy that registers and the ways that that they can do all the things they've dreamed of is intense. It's extreme. And I think we have ideas of independence like that. But Jesus says the way that you can be fruitful and really grow and experience the freedom that only I can give you is by remaining in me and not running after the things of the world. So how are we supposed to do that? How would you say that you remain in Jesus? What's your strategy? Well, here in John 15, it says that we do that by the word of God. So in verse 3, Jesus refers to the word that he has spoken to the disciples. In verse 7, he describes remaining in him as having his words remain in us. He's talking about scripture. He's saying God's words need to live in us. We have to listen to him through our reading of the Bible, through our memorizing scripture. And we do that every Sunday when we gather. We have, I strive in my preaching to have a ton of scripture that I'm referring to that's up on the screens behind me. I don't, I don't want to go three minutes without having a scripture passage because what we're doing most of all on Sunday mornings in worship is we are in God's word. We are soaking it up. We are making his story more and more our story. We're bringing our lives into it. Judith, my wife, uh, made some changes to the washroom over the Christmas holidays. Uh, Our main washroom is a place we go to from time to time to do things. In fact, I, I, think it's, I think it's like the one place where I can find peace in my house. It feels that way at times. 
I don't know if any of you ever go to the washroom to find peace. If you do, maybe we should start a small group. (laughs) So Judith put uh, scripture readings up on one of the the walls of this bathroom. And and I love that because now when I go to the washroom, there's Bible verses on the wall. And it it really does feel, I mean, you're looking at me a little bit blankly right now, but, (laughs) but it really does feel like that is a moment of peace. And... So we want more and more for scripture to be in our lives, to be on the walls, to be in our consciousness, because God's words are good words. What else does Jesus say here about remaining in him? Later on, Jesus makes a direct connection between our remaining in him and our loving one another and keeping his commandments. So to remain in him requires a kind of tough, determined love. Not a vague, wishy-washy love that comes and goes. But we have to ask ourselves as the church, how can we love each other like that? And the answer is simply by not separating, by being branches. There's a graphic that we're going to see here that, that I got from Allison that came out of the community Bible study on Wednesday night. So to remain in Jesus which sounds like something passive. It sounds like it's all about grace, and it is. But this passage in John 15 makes it clear that if we're going to remain in him, we need to get involved with other people and to love them. And that really is a big part of the reason you're sitting at these tables and we're not sitting like we normally do. Because when we turn and face other people, we start to have a relationship with them. So I want you to turn back in your table groups. We've talked about two ways in this passage that Jesus says that we can remain in him. One is by being in his word, by studying the Bible, by reflecting on scripture. The other is by loving one another. And in doing that, we keep his commands. What, how do you do that? Or what are some other ways that you can think of that you can remain in Jesus? So take a couple minutes and talk amongst yourselves about that. Anytime. Yeah. Okay, so what did you come up with? I want to hear some of the ideas that were being discussed, if you want to share them, that is. Pulling the weeds from your life. You're going with the the gardening imagery, I like that, I like that. And then how do you know what's a weed, right? So, because 
I don't know about you, but I have trouble identifying the weeds. One time I pulled up a really precious flower thinking it was a weed. My mother-in-law was not impressed. <laughs> Anyone else? What, how do we abide in Christ? Spend time with him. Daily devotions. So there is no more basic rhythm to us than the daily rhythm. Weekly is great, but with something this important, why wouldn't we want it daily? Yes. Right. So beyond Sunday worship, we experience community. This We can really only love each other so far if the Sunday morning experience of church is all we've got because it takes, it does happen, but it can take years to really get to know someone in those after the service conversations. Um, so going to people's homes, inviting them over, accepting their invitations. And that's why we have small groups. You're right. In a way, we've brought small groups into worship this morning. So those are, those are great thoughts. Um, so we've looked at how God the Father prunes us through our experiences of suffering. We've talked about how we can remain in him. And the, the older word that's sometimes used in translation there is to abide. Um, but if Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, then we're in this together. We are inseparably interconnected. That is our new identity as Christians. But we resist that, don't we? Like Maybe even some of you are resisting that right now. You're feeling like this table formation we're in was imposed upon you. That's something else my neighbor said. He said he's an introvert and he would hate this. And then he said, and you're also taking advantage of people because you didn't tell them this was happening. So <laughs> he was, he, I left his house feeling really great about this morning. We are not inclined to be together with other people, to be vulnerable, to be open. Our sinful nature, our self-centeredness leads us in the opposite direction. And so the devil whispers to us, you have a friend you're not getting along with, maybe a friend who's been critical of you or has let you down, well, unfriend them. You have a co-worker who's getting on your nerves, well, then just avoid them. Maybe you have a family member, maybe it's your child, your brother, your sister, your parent, who is driving you crazy, all you have to do is keep your distance. Your spouse isn't giving you what you need. Well, maybe it's time to reconsider that relationship. These are all the lies that the enemy whispers to us. But Jesus says... Love each other as I have loved you. Recognize that you are attached to one another and remain rooted in love. Stop seeing other people as a nuisance or an obstacle to your happiness. Even on the roads we do that, right? We get into this framework where we think our getting to our destination as quickly as possible is all that matters. See the other people around you, especially family and friends, as not obstacles to your happiness, but as your life. These are the people, this is the community, these are the neighbors that God has given you. Only then, Jesus says, will your joy be complete. 
So he is the vine once again, and we are the branches. And as we learn to love each other, he brings the fruit. Patience, kindness, peace, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, love, and joy. And joy is really what Jesus highlights here. What about compassion? Absolutely. You could name a bunch more. These are the ones that the Apostle Paul names in Galatians chapter 5. So what does that look like? I mean, all those words, they sound good. They are good. But, well, for me, it looks like going back to my friend when, when I sat down with him and he was critical of me, the thought I had not just in that moment, not just that day, but in the days to come after that was that we're done. We, that friendship gets downgraded, if not terminated. Because why did I even put up with that? Why didn't I walk out in the middle of that? That is the defensive reaction we have when we get hurt, isn't it? But if I am taking this seriously, the only real option for me is to go back to him and to tell him that what, I, what he said to me was hurtful. But then also to be humble in acknowledging that maybe some of what he said was true. But most of all, to forgive him. And someone on Wednesday night said that one of the ways that the sap of the life that Jesus gives us, this abundant, the Greek word for it is zoe, zoe life, this eternal life, that comes up from the vine of Jesus into us, his branches. One of the ways the sap gets blocked and the branches die is, is through unforgiveness. And I think that's a profound insight. How often do we not even notice the distance that's emerging between us and God due to our anger, due to our resentment, our lack of forgiveness? There's something else pretty amazing in this passage. Generally, a rabbi and his disciples had a certain kind of relationship. It was a top-down hierarchy. And so Jesus, as rabbi to these disciples, was the master, and they were his servants. Now, when Jesus chooses to call the disciples his friends, in verse 15 it says that, he offers them a new identity. And he's done this before, right? In chapter 13, he washed their feet. Now, a proper rabbi never would have done that. That would have, been, would have been considered crazy. But here Jesus redefines love and friendship. And he says it's being willing to die for your friends. Jesus is still their teacher and their Lord, but now he's also their friend. He has come close to us. He's laid down his privilege and his power. And he obeys his father, even to the point of giving up his life. As John says elsewhere in his first letter, he says, this is how we know what love really is. Because we're skeptical and cynical about love, right? Here's how we know what love really is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we should lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So at the cross, we see real and ultimate love displayed. And by laying down his life, it's only through that that Jesus can offer us this abundant life, this eternal life. If there's one word I want you to take away from our reflection on John 15 this morning, it's a verb that's repeated 12 times in this short passage. 
Remain is the way it's translated in the, the version we read, the New International Version. I like the way the King James Version translates it, maybe even a little better. And that is abide. Jesus says, abide in me. I like, I like that word abide because it's an, old world, it's an old word, a little antiquated, but it feels like a strong word to me. Remain feels a little bit kind of passive. But when I hear abide, I think of something that's rooted, that is peaceful and yet active, reaching out. It's from a Greek word, mino, which literally means to make your home in. And so Jesus is saying that he is the way for us to be at home with God. So don't just come to Christ. Don't just come up to the door of his home and stand at the threshold. But abide with him. Walk into his home. He's inviting you. We think we're not good enough for that. We can use that as an excuse at times. We think we have to earn it, and partly we do that because it means we can control it. But it doesn't say that first we obey God and then we get his love. No, Jesus is saying that as we receive his love for us, we will be changed and we will want to obey him. Our hearts will be changed, even our desires will be changed. In verse 9, we hear what I think is the very heart of this passage. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now that is incredible. As the Father has loved the Son, as God has loved Jesus, so he loves us. The love of the Father for the Son is love beyond anything we could wrap our heads around. You can think of the love of a parent for their child, the love your parent, your mother, father had for you, I trust. The love that I have for Chloe, for Callum, and for Lily. That love is just a pale reflection of God's perfect, everlasting love for us. Jesus says, make your home in that. To abide means to rest in his love. Abiding isn't about the things that we're doing for him. It's resting in his thoughts about us. And that seems to be the hardest thing for us, which is why we preach grace always. We preach the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. And when you receive that grace, when you abide in it, when you rest in it, his life starts to flow in you. Real change begins not when you are told what to do for God, but when you believe what God has done for you. He is the vine and we are the branches. Our response is to remain in him. So how can we obey this command to love one another more and more at court right? How can we be more faithful as the church of Jesus Christ? The last verse of the passage we read says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. We're going to pray now and we're going to ask God to show us how we can love him more and more. And maybe some of you have written down ideas about that on pieces of paper that we're going to pray in a moment. 
If I could ask uh, those who are serving communion to go around to tables, and if you've written something down, can you hold it up right now? And if you could collect those for me, then I will pray them. If your handwriting is legible. Some of the tables, the ones close to the front, for those of you who are brave enough to sit near the front, have tomato plants on them. And these are symbols of our growth and the fruit, because as Chloe always reminds me when I forget that tomatoes are not vegetables, um, they're not vegetables, right? Tomatoes are fruit. Some tables don't have uh, tomato plants on them. That's not judgment on you and your table. Um, But I want to invite you today, as we pray these prayers, that God would bring fruit into our lives individually, but also fruit into the life of our congregation. Um, At the back, there's a table, which we used on Wednesday Night Community Bible Study, with soil, with water, and with tomato seeds. And there are little, what do you call those things? Cups, fiber pots. Thank you, Joan. Uh, So you can plant a tomato plant today on your way out. And I encourage you to make that your prayer today, that as you leave, that you would have the faith that God is doing something good in your life and that you will see the fruit, that that is our hope together. So let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you have brought us together here today. And what you see when you watch us worship like this, when we are your church together, is something incredible. And it's only thanks to Jesus that it's possible that we can be united with him. Holy Spirit, would you more and more enable us to live out that reality? We want to pray today for those who are struggling in that. We've talked about pruning. We've talked about suffering. We lift up today all those who are sick, who are dealing with medical and health issues. We pray. We talked about this last Sunday a lot. We pray for those who are grieving, for those who have lost a loved one, that you would comfort them, that you would be the hope of the resurrection in their hearts. We pray for those who are dealing with broken relationships. Maybe someone here today can really relate to what the story I told about my friend and the conflict that we had and are still working out. Lord, would you remove those blockages from our lives? Only, only you can really enable us to forgive. So we pray that you would move us to take action that paves the way to forgiveness particularly within our church community, that we would sit down face-to-face with people, that we would not hear things and avoid people. And today, Lord, we pray for growth. We pray for fruit. We pray for ways that we can bless one another in our community, that we can be generous to one another. We pray that we would grow in trust for each other, allowing us to share our suffering, which, which we can't do in this room on this occasion, but which we can do in smaller groups, which we can do as we nurture those relationships. 
We pray for the use of our land here at 55 Devere Drive, for the garden, for the orchard, for peaceful green space, for space to gather for our neighbors. We pray that you would help us to seek you through your word, to be faithful in doing this. Help us to make time for you. Forgive us for a focus that wanders from you. We pray for continued unity in court rights so fruit can be produced by us as a community. We pray that KPC would become the heart of the university village neighborhood. I can't read that one. We pray for a safe transition to the new worship service schedule. We pray for safe travels for Jorge and Veronica as they fly to Munich. We pray for Jorge's health. Lord, we pray for patience. We pray for forgiveness. We pray for more of your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.